one of the men that I dated, I told him about my life. I said, I'm, you know, I'm a single mom. I just bought my house. I traveled around the world twice, you know, all of these things. And he's like, Alicia, you're industrious enough to be your own millionaire. And that was like the, that was the lightning strike that ignited the forest fire. Like I was like, first of all, it was really interesting that it took a man to tell me that because I never believed it. You've gotten great at divine working, but what about divine living? Welcome to the Divine Living Podcast. I'm your host, Gina DeVee. You're not alone in wanting more. And here at the Divine Living Podcast, you can expect to be part of conversations from women like us who unapologetically dream big and are obsessed with manifesting our most fabulous lives. The conversation starts now. Right, all my aspiring authors or established authors, I have an amazing podcast for you. My dear friend, Alicia Dunhams, is gracing us with her presence. She's an international speaker and trainer and motivates tens of thousands of business leaders around the world to play big and produce the business results in life that they want. She's coached thousands of business leaders to write, publish, and market their book during her super cool program called Best Seller in a Weekend. She is also a former international fashion model, super cool woman, friend of mine in Miami who I brunch with on a regular basis. And she began her entrepreneurial career when she wrote her Amazon bestselling book, Gold Digger, Lessons Learned from the Rich Men I Dated. She is just a wealth of information. You're going to love her personal story. You're going to love the professional things that she does. And I just really believe this episode is going to uplift and enrich your dreams, whatever they are. Alicia, it is so great to have you on the Divine Living Podcast. You have been such an extraordinary new friend and pure delight that I have met in Miami. And... Every time I'm with you here, I just can't spend enough time with you, which is why I've invited you to be on the podcast. So all you divine living queens, you are welcome. And I'm really excited for you all to get to know Alicia like I have been getting to know her as well. So welcome to the Divine Living Podcast. Gina, it is so great to be here and be in your presence. I am excited for what we're about to speak about. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we know here at Divine Living that every woman has a story. So before we like even get into your amazing and epic business that I know all my listeners are going to be super interested in. Let's find out about the woman behind the brand and tell us a little bit about you, how you got started, and then we'll get to where you're at today. Yes, the power of storytelling. I have so many different stories. I don't know where to begin. It's like the the amount of lives I've lived in these Mm. 45 years. Wow. Okay. The stories. Well, I grew up in Sacramento, California, and my mother and father lived there. My mom and dad were rebels, naturally. I'm a mixed race. So my dad is from New Orleans, Louisiana, grew up very poor. And my mom is from England, and she grew up very wealthy. So they came together. Wow. (laughs) All of it. All of it. My dad walked, I mean, he had a newspaper in his shoes. He was so poor. And then my mom went to a private all-girls school and was born in Windsor. So, and and they're in England, obviously, so focused on class and status. Uh, That was an interesting mix. Okay. So I was born in, in Sacramento and lived in California all my life. I would say after I graduated from UCLA, I did something really spectacular. It's one of the best things I've done in my life is I bought a round the world ticket. and I traveled around the world by myself. 
amazing as a single woman by as yourself. A, this was before. This was pre-Facebook, pre-cell phones. This was like, I think I think uh, Hotmail was just getting started. This was back mm-hmm. in uh, 1998-ish. And so I backpacked around the world by myself. I actually did it not once, but twice. I was a travel writer. I, I actually enrolled someone to hire me as a travel writer so I could go back around the world to get, uh, again. So uh, that was fantastic. And so I would say like the story and the journey really begins when I was a single mom at 25 years old. I had my daughter. And one day, about a year after she was born, her father decided to leave. And I remember saying to myself when he left, I said, oh, I guess I got to bring home the bacon and cook the bacon. So there was this kind of declaration that I had that I need to do it all. I need to be it all. And that's when I started a business. So I started a business around 20 years ago. She's she's 19 years old now. And uh, that business is kind of what I had today in different types of formations and evolutions. So really at that point, and just to tell you a little bit more about my story is going with that attitude, I get to do it all, that I'm going to bring home the bacon, I'm going to cook the bacon. And, and, and during that time, as I started my business, I went to a New Year's Eve party. Now, this is a, a party that my mom invited me to. It was, it was her friend's daughter. Now, her friend's daughter is Nicole Murphy, who was married to Eddie Murphy at the time. So I went to this beautiful party, New Year's Eve party, and my mom's friends were getting together and talking and talking. And and they were saying, you know, Alicia, you work so hard. You do it all by yourself. I was a single mom at the time. I bought my own house. I, mm-hmm. I, I started a business. I bought a Land Rover. It was used, but I bought a Land Rover. So I thought like, you know, I'm living life and I'm handling it. And I am, I'm doing it all myself. But they noticed this. They're like, you get to be with a, a wealthy man. You get to be with a man who can take care of you. You get to be just like her. And they pointed over at Nicole Murphy, who was married to Eddie Murphy. And yes, you know, she she kind of had a charmed life from the outside looking in. And so I remember when they said that to me, and I just felt completely gutted. I felt um, so low at that point. And I remember driving home after the party, and I picked up my daughter from the babysitter, and I pulled into my garage, and I just started crying. And I called my best friend and I said, you you can't imagine what these women said to me. They said that, you know, I need to be with a millionaire. I need to be taken care of. And then I said at the end of the call, I go, by the way, where do you find millionaires in Sacramento anyways? (laughs) Because I was was living in Sacramento at the time. And I said this because I I was like, because it kind of created in me, you know, when someone tells you something and you've been living your life a certain way and then you hear a different perspective Mm -hmm. and then it, it kind of discounts everything that you've been living, but then you're like, well, maybe there's some possibility here. And what I ended up doing is actually a couple of weeks later, I was watching the Dr. Phil show. I worked from home watching the Dr. Phil show and they had been on that long. My goodness. He has been on. This was back in, uh, in the early two thousands. Uh, I was watching Dr. Phil and they had a whole panel of gold diggers. Okay. And, you know, gold diggers are like, you know, I I only date rich men and they pay for everything. And it was this whole kind of conversation. And in the front row, there was a woman and she was a dating expert, a matchmaker. And do you know who she was, Gina? Was it Patty? It was Patty Stanger. This was before she was the millionaire matchmaker. Wow. And she said, she said, you ladies have it all wrong. Wealthy men 
They want to be with a smart, successful woman. They don't want to be with someone who uses them. And I have an agency that puts those type of men with those type of women, those type of women, with those type of men. And, and so she gave the information. This is when she had a matchmaking agency. It was not called the Millionaire Matchmaker. And so I kind of, going back to that question I asked my friend, I'm like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe my life would be different. Hmm. I wouldn't have to do everything myself. It wouldn't be exhausted all the time. Go, 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 lone wolf, being a lone wolf like I was. So I ended up putting my pictures together and sending it off uh, to, to Patty. And I, a couple of weeks later, I was contacted by her. And within weeks, I was being flown down to LA, wined and dined by all these wealthy men. And one thing that I noticed in, in this is I was never interested in like getting married to them or dating them. I was interested in how they created wealth. <laughs> how they started their business. Mm-hmm. Like I was like in, I was holding the strategy of it all. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask them. And then one of the men that I dated, you know, I told him about my life. I said, I'm, you know, I'm a single mom. I just bought my house. I traveled around the world twice, you know, all of these things. And he's like, Alicia, you're industrious enough to be your own millionaire. Wow. And that was like the, that was the lightning strike that ignited the forest fire. Like I was like, First of all, it was really interesting that it took a man to tell me that because I never believed it. Sure, sure. And how much the culture has us, you know, well, if a man says it's it's okay, it's almost like permission giving. I mean, just to to piggyback for anyone listening, I mean, my mom, God bless her, she was a school teacher. And whenever I'd go into the whatever store, I'd like, I just would naturally gravitate towards what I liked that happened to be the more expensive items. And she never told me, Gina, you better become rich. She just always said, Gina, you better marry a rich man. It was just part of that generation. And so it never dawned on me that I had a choice to do this myself, that the only way to do that was through marriage. So continue. It's it's really, it's part of our social narrative in mm-hmm. which is like marry rich, marry, marry. And I completely rejected that. And it and even when I was around it, which was fantastic because I I was around a new mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh and but I was never like, oh let me marry this guy or let me like try to <laughs> it was no sparks like, how, there. No sparks. No no sparks. It's like let me create it myself. And so, you know, with that one and then, you know, so I dated, I, you know, I dated, I dated, and one of the guys I dated, he said, I go, I told him, I go, you know, I'm learning so many lessons from you guys <laughs> on how to create wealth and how to manifest. And, and he goes, Alicia, you should write a book. And I said, I should. And that's how it all were great began. mentors and coaches, huh? They were great mentors and coaches. And, mm-hmm. and I wrote a book and the book is called Goal Digger, Lessons Learned from the Rich Men I Dated. And I wrote that back in 2006. What a cool, like behind the scenes story. I I knew that that was your book, but I didn't know the story behind it. That's awesome. Yeah. So I wrote my book, Gold Digger. And this was before like the the words has taken a life on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I own golddigger.com. I'll just say that. So I was like, you know, I would say one of the first. OG. I don't know if I, I don't know if I was the first, but I was definitely OG, uh, the OG, original gangster, original gold digger. And so through that process, and when I wrote a book and I made it a bestseller on Amazon, and then I looked at the New York Times list mm-hmm. during that time. Now, I self-published my book. I made it an Amazon bestseller, but I was like, okay, I just launched a book. Now, how do I make money at it? Like, how do I like turn this into something? So this was back in 2006, 2007. 
And so I looked at the New York Times list at that time to see what other women were on the list. And at the time, it was Laurel Langmire, the millionaire maker. It was Marcy Shymoff with mm-hmm. like uh, from The Secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was uh, Christine Comerford. So there's like, you know, three or four women. And I just looked at their websites and I said, oh, they all look like they're coaches or they put on trainings or they, they're speakers. I'm like, maybe I should come up with some sort of conference. And what I did was back then, I don't know how I got her phone number, but I called Laurel Langmire up and I said, <laughs> I said, Hey, I just wrote a book. She didn't know me from Adam. Like I, this was hardly social media was just getting started. Mm-hmm. And, and I go, would you come and speak at a conference that I'm going to put on? And she said, yes. She said, yes. And I was like, what? And, and then when she said yes, and I use it, then I use that to talk to some other women. I'm like, oh, Laurel Langmire is coming. And then I put on a woman's conference. So I put on a woman's conference back in, I think it was 2008 and it was called Wealthy Girl Summit. And wow, you know, it was a lot of work to put that conference oh, on. Those, those live events are, they, they sure are. And, and for me, it was not a moneymaker. I mean, it just kind of like... <laughs> covered the cost. And I was like, okay, that didn't quite work. So I have a book, I did this conference. And you know, the money's kind of coming in, but it's not working. And then one by one, some of the women speakers, I had like 13 speakers, they started coming up to me. and They're like, Lisa, can you help me write a book? Wow. And that's like the genesis of what I've been doing for the last, almost 16 years now is helping people write books. And that has been a whole evolution uh, as well. So I helped all these women write books. And, and then I, I, you know, through, through ghostwriting and, and then I launched my bestseller to weekend program. And really the rest of this history, I've been ever since then, I've been helping people write books. And that has, and, and just even recently, the new evolution of that is what I've uh, been doing with women is what I call book writing as therapy. Uh, and, uh, and so it's just, it just shows it kind of started with helping people write books. And then I launched bestseller to weekend during the 2008 crisis, <laughs> because I realized I need to figure out a way to make money when people were like holding on to their personal sure. strings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I figured that out is because I was doing so much one-to-one work mm-hmm. and I'm like, what that I'm doing one-to-one that I can do one-to-many. And that's when I pulled that into Bestseller in a Weekend and I like sold her from the stage. So it has just been an interesting life thus far. I'll say that. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Because, you know, as we're, as we're just as we're talking, every woman has a story and there's a book inside every woman. And I think that for so long, the publishing, I think even still today, I mean, if you don't know better, like the publishing industry can be so intimidating and it can feel like there's such gatekeepers or, you know, like, well, or who am I to go write a book or what, whatever the stuff is that comes up. So I love you taking a stand that like, I mean, me now being a published author, you know, like anytime you do something, you're like, well, if I can do it, anybody can, <laughs> right? Like, you like just start to realize how humanly possible it is. And more importantly, how humanly necessary it is that women like us are sharing our truths, telling our stories, giving up of our gifts, and particularly in book format, you know, like mm-hmm. our high-end services are cool. Our events, when the world opens up, that'll be awesome too. But everyone can get their hands on a book, which is why... I came around to writing my book because I wanted my message in the hands of more people. And so um, let's talk about this. So like when you say book writing as therapy, I was like, look, at I've been through some hard therapy sessions, but nothing has been as hard as writing that book. So I wish I would have known you when I was writing a book. How is book writing therapy, Alicia? 
Well, this is something that I kind of stumbled upon. Obviously, I, I've been helping people write books for 16 years. And, you know, the one thing that you just spoke into, I always say that everyone in the world can buy a copy of your book, but not everyone in the world can buy an hour of your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and something about writing a book, it creates that kind of global impact where people can learn about you uh, and learn your lessons and your framework. And, and then going back to book writing as therapy is uh, I've been helping so many people write books, you know, CEOs and business owners and what have you. I, I started to see that a particular type of woman I was being, uh, was attracted to me. And these were high-performing women, uh, women that from the outside looking in, they had all the trappings of success. Uh, and there was something that was holding them back. And, and as I started working with them and asking questions, because that's essentially what a coach does is asking questions. Like, for example, one woman that I met, she told me everything about her life, things that no one else knew, no one else knew. And as she told me her life, and this is someone who uh, is highly successful now, um, but grew up uh, with sexual trauma and things that she's ashamed of and decisions that she made, I noticed that... um, through that process and through me suggesting books for her to read uh, and us meeting together that she said that was the most powerful journey mm-hmm. that she's been on. And she, and she said she hired therapists before and it was nothing like this. Now it was really interesting. So we, through this process, most of my clients don't write their book. I work with them and then we have it you go to a ghostwriter or book doctor to, to finish it off and well, maybe that's more why it's like it's therapy because i did mine on my own so well, exactly because they're <laughs> I didn't have i had collaborators that i that i enjoyed working with but i didn't have this kind of a mentor so keep going yes yeah, so as she was sharing this so we just met and she just shared and shared stories and cried and and read books and spiritual texts that i would send over to her uh, and then so she gets her book back and her husband didn't know anything. Wow. So she told me things that her husband didn't know or her family members didn't know. So I suggested they were on a road trip. I suggested that she read the book to him. <laughs> and that night she called me and she's like, oh my God, oh my God, I read the book. I think we're gonna get a divorce. I think we're gonna get a divorce. And I'm like, just let him marinate. Mm-hmm. Let it let him sit with it. And I eventually had uh, breakfast with this couple in Los Angeles. They took me out and this man grabbed my hand Mm. and he said, thank you. Sure. And I just couldn't believe it. He's very, very, he's like six, four attractive, good looking guy. And he's like, you gave me back my wife. Mm. And that was so powerful. I teared up because I could just see that this process and even, I mean, we, we know that the, the only way out is through. And so when we live life on the surface, when we live life not going deep into what has happened to us to, to see the healing journey available that we can eventually get to, it happened for us. Mm-hmm. That we live a surface life. We live a guarded life. And, and that's what my client said. She goes, people saw her as inauthentic. Mm. because she was hiding her past. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? The thing that we think is so taboo, the thing that's going to repel people from us, turn people off. And it will for some, 
But mostly anytime that I've gotten over my own ego or vulnerability and shared, it just makes everything more real, more interesting, more compelling, more relatable. You know, my former mentor, Marianne Williamson, she says that, you know, there's only so many scripts out there. And it's like when you realize, like, and then that's the other thing, we internalize this, this shame or this thing, like our story is so different or, you know, when it's like, it's actually so similar to so many others. So similar that we have, have achieved traumas. And I think the biggest thing is, are you in your story? Are you in the traumas? Or are you standing on top of them? Mm-hmm. Have you overcome? And, and so it really follows the, the one of the frameworks I use, which is not my framework, is the hero's journey, or I call it the mm-hmm. heroine's journey, is the, the call to an adventure and going yeah. out and, and meeting mentors and, and having helpers along the way, uh, nemesis. And then eventually this whole, you know, spiritual abyss, this like being brought to your knees. And when people are in that stage of that journey, they feel they're the only one there. Mm-hmm. And, and that you know, they either stay there or if they do, they come back and they're, they're like, I don't want anyone to know. Mm -hmm. Because they're the only one that had a mother like that or a father like that or a childhood like that or, you know, or a boss like that. And and that's so true. And, And the thing about like the closest way humans can come together is this heart to heart conversation. This, this vulnerability is that when you share a piece of your heart, it inspires me compels me to share a piece of mine. Mm -hmm. And, and so when you share these, especially with um, like women who they're, you know, my client's very intimidating. She's like almost six foot. She's tall, gorgeous and drives, you know, a Bentley at one time. (laughs) And and you see that you're like, and what it does, it could shut down other people. People could be shut down by that. It's like, oh, wow. She just this outside looking in, it's like, wow, she's so beautiful and she's driving a Bentley and she has it all. And it's when you share the things that happen to you, it creates those, those soul to soul, heart to heart connections mm-hmm. and, and it makes it compelling. And, and so I think that's what's available here when we're looking at our, our stories is that when I share something and it's not that we glorify or it's a, you know, coming from a victim place or we're sharing our grievances or we're airing yeah. our grievances out. It's being able to process it first and see this is what happened and this is what I created with it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it's a journey. So the healing journey is a journey because I worked with another client and we were doing a book and she does such great things with the world and she's given back and she's a philanthropist. And, and there was a, a, a paragraph in her book where she was talking about her ex-husband. And, and I was reading it and I, and I go, you haven't healed yet. Just this paragraph. Because she was talking about him uh, in a way that was, dis- there was an underlying disparaging uh, mm-hmm. in a comment. And and I go, that that bit right there, you get to work on that. And she's like, you're so right. Oh, she goes, yeah, she's like, there's still some like, you know, residual resentment there. And and then when we come from full ownership and it's like this, this whole, even like a basic exercise from, you know, t- telling your victim story to t- telling your story, your victorious story, where mm-hmm. you are a hundred percent responsible. Now, when I say this, I don't want to diminish uh, any traumas that have happened in someone's life. I mean, I don't want to diminish that at all. I know that each personal journey is personal and very unique. Mm-hmm. And 
we do eventually, if we're going to live a life filled with joy, transformation, impact, and service, we get to take those traumas and the things that happened to us and see the story, see what it led us to in our life, take full ownership, maybe not ownership of what happened to you, but ownership of how you respond. Totally. Well, you know, it's one thing what someone else has done to us. And then so oftentimes with trauma, we unconsciously end up doing that very same thing to ourselves when we're not careful. So, you know, what someone else has done to us is their karma and their responsibility and their perhaps poor judgment. And I think that the darkest place in a woman's life actually is not what was done to us by someone else, but it's when we ourselves self-abandon. And the more that we can take what you're saying and like take our stories and take our experiences and take our message and and let them be transformed, let them be healed, let us overcome, then we are, you know, if shame was inflicted upon us, then we, we've got to stop being the ones who inflict the shame on ourselves. If, mm-hmm. if rejection or abuse happened to us, we need to stop self-abusing. And when we are there for us like so fully and we're no longer self-abandoning, everything changes. Mm. I've never heard of that concept in terms of self-abandoning. Mm-hmm. What, what, is, what does that mean to you? It, for me, I learned about it when I was healing my codependency. And when I realized how addicted I was to wanting to get other people to like me, like, cause I couldn't function if I wasn't approved of or liked of, like someone else had to give me permission basically to breathe. And what I realized as I woke up to this was, and by the way, like, I didn't think I was codependent. That was for like weak, broken people, right? You're like, I was at a master's degree in clinical psychology. I certainly wasn't codependent. So what I realized in, in that awakening was how much I was there for everyone else. And in my own codependency, I was trying to figure out what they wanted. I was trying to figure out what they liked and who I needed to be mm-hmm. so that they would like me and accept me and approve of me, mm-hmm. which took me out of the equation. Because I was yeah. never asking, what are my values? What do I desire? What's true for me? And in all of that, I, I, I consistently self-abandoned. I wasn't there for me and my truth and my desires, regardless of the consequences or what someone else else's preferences were. And so I, so I went through this like really dark time with my family and like severe cutting off estrangement, rejection. And I think it was during that healing time that I actually read the book, The Heroine's Journey, that I woke up to, oh my gosh, I'm doing to myself what they've done to me. Like they rejected me and they abandoned me. And and here I was doing the same thing. So that's when I woke up to, and it was more shame-based. It was a darker pit than the depression and shame that I felt from them. Mm. And then it, it creates an inauthentic, you know, expression of yourself because you're like, you're a shell your shell, essentially. And to me, what you just explained seems, feels exhausting. Like I, I, that's what I was like coming. So yeah, that thank total survive mode, to total survival mode. And, and, and that's what the world that we live in. I just got jumped off a podcast where I was interviewing a leadership uh, author and, and we were talking about the state of the world and there are everyone's everyone living does in- light subjects over here. 
Yes, I, I, absolutely. It's like the state of the world and that people are in critter brain. It is cr- critter brain mentality. And it is, and, and that's, and personally, in terms of how I work with clients and, and the, the life that I choose to leave, lead is being on the conscious climb. It is how do I become a better person each moment, moment by moment. And that is self-awareness comes down to Mm self-awareness. And so that was great self-awareness, Gina, that you were able to come to that place. I guess it was the help with people. Was it the help with a therapist? Oh God, many, many, multiple times a week. Are you, there was no a therapist. There were therapists, there were coaches, there were a hero, there were uh, healers, there were spiritual advisors, you name it. Uh They were there. They were there among, you know, a few hundred books later also. Yes. And it's interesting, but I think we have, it's, you know, I, I'm totally a proponent of getting help and healers and therapists, and we have it in ourselves. We have it in ourselves. I think all of those people just shine a mirror and ask the mm-hmm. questions and we're, we're able to, to find the answers. And like everything in life is a practice. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the more that you're practicing it, so again, they, they were advisors and, mm-hmm. and guiding lights. And as they start asking the questions, then you can start adopting and modeling that and answering the question. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Yes. Um, two things. One, I, because I did have a master's degree in clinical and humanistic psychology, I actually did come from the framework that the answers are within. Mm -hmm. So I sought out kind of um, humanistic based people, mentors that weren't putting their ideas on me, but that they too follow that same philosophy that that I had the answers. So they really facilitated the process very well for me. And at the same time, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And, you know, there's, there were times for me of when I could not do surgery on myself. And it felt very good to have someone facilitate that process where, and, and now still, I still work with coaches and, and have people facilitate a process for me. And at this point, sometimes I can do the surgery on myself now, like I can self-process and, connect some of the dots and, you know, where before I didn't have those skills, tools, confidence, um, Mm -hmm. and self-awareness. Yeah. And that's important. And so that's what I, I live to, to facilitate and create a container for people and, and women in particular to have and this these books into the world. I get, love it so much. So how can people work with you, Alicia? Like what kind of programs do you have? If someone's like, I'm sure we've got people listening that are like, I want to write a book, but I don't know where to start. Or I've already started writing my book and I'm halfway through to can do I, are you right for me? Or I don't know. I've, I've already written my book and, and what do I do next? So. Yeah, I work with all of the above. So I would say if you're just getting started, go to bestsellertoweekend.com and okay. takes you through the process and you'll write a hundred page draft book manuscript in a weekend. So that's a great place to get started. Uh, and you also can schedule a call with uh, myself or a member of my team. If you're like halfway done, I, I get a lot of those clients. They're like, oh, I've done or I've wrote my book or I'm halfway done. I have programs to support you in getting across the finish line. So we have all the author services I talked about, like ghostwriters, developmental editors, uh, book cover design to support you. And whether it's self-publishing or even good a traditional publisher, I, was, I, I, I have a literary agent that I work with to, to help my clients who are on that particular journey. 
and ghostwriting. We do ghostwriting packages. Uh, so you can go to bestlearnaweekend.com. And if you're interested in working uh, with me as a, as a coach uh, to facilitate the book writing process as a way to heal, as a way to uh, grow, as a way to uh, really catharsis is I would go to bookwritingastherapy.com. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And where can we find you on all the socials and stay in touch with you as well? Go to at Alicia Dunham's and you'll find me everywhere. And I look forward to connecting. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, Alicia, so much power-packed information in this short amount of time. Thank you so much for your personal story, your professional prowess. I mean, what a gift that you are doing the work that you're doing in the world so that people can get a book out there that's going to impact literally hundreds, thousands, millions of people. You must just, you must be like such a proud mama bear every time one of those books get published. I am indeed a proud mama bear. It's it's fantastic to be the wind beneath uh, someone else's wings to get their message out in the world because they're just going to inspire more people. So my impact is 10x uh, through the work I do, 100x. Yeah. I can't think of anyone more emotionally safe, lovely, smart, powerful to work with on this process. So I'm so delighted. Ladies, take advantage. Uh, check out these resources. They're, all the links will be in the show notes. And don't sit on your story. Don't sit on your book. Alicia, any last pieces of advice, wisdom, or inspiration you want to leave the Divine Living listeners? Yes, don't leave this world with your music still inside you. Let it out. Let your message out. Because when you share your message, you encourage others and inspire others to do it the same. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And I'm going to close it with this. I want you to all think about the most impactful book you read. Think about the most impactful book you read. And that human, whether it was their first book or their 10th book, they were human, which means they sat there and wondered, is this any good? Mm -hmm. Is anyone going to read it? Is this going to matter to anyone? Has this already been said? Or is this genius? Or has this been said in a way that it hasn't been said before? Or is this going to impact even somebody's life? And when you realize that you get in your book out into the world, it's not just for you and the book advance you're going to get and the fame and the publicity and the fun you're going to have because all that's there. But you are going to be part of the double blessing because just like that book that you read that impacted someone's life, someone's going to be damning you and say, your book changed my life. So don't sit on it, like Alicia said. And uh, let's get some more powerful books out in the world with women's voices like ours. That's what Alicia and I are taking a stand for. So thanks so much Absolutely. for being here. Alicia, it has been such a pleasure as always. And thank you for your time and your wisdom. So great to be here, Gina. Thank you so much. Did you love the episode as much as I did? I hope so. I hope that you're feeling filled up and that all your dreams are possible and that you absolutely have what it takes to do this. And I am here for you. I'm here on your journey. And I just want to make sure that you are constantly supported with all things queen, high vibe, positivity, spiritual superpowers, and all the things. So if you have not already gotten in on the free companion course to my book, you know, my book is The Audacity to Be Queen, The Unapologetic Art of Dreaming Big and Manifesting Your Most Fabulous Life. You can get my book. I'll leave the link in the show notes. But I also have a free companion course. Uh, whether or not you have the get the book, 
this course is meant to just support you with really taking a look at who you are and how you can get to where you want to go. So you can check it out at divineliving.com forward slash audacity, divineliving.com forward slash audacity. That link will be in the show notes as well. Like I said, it's completely free. There's videos, there's workbooks, there's a Facebook group. So get in on this good free content, share the link with your friends and enjoy. Enjoy.